Well, this morning we finish our study of the book of Ruth, and it's been fun, hasn't it? It's been sweet. Has it been challenging? It's been challenging for me. Uh, I've never studied Ruth this, uh, with this much depth before, uh, so I've learned a lot as we've gone on. That's been a lot of fun. I admit I've geeked out in some places this morning. We're really going to geek out in some places because we have a lot of ground to cover um, Okay, I know we're still young and new. Ruth is a completely different book of the Bible than anything we've studied together so far, though, right? It's different. It's challenging. It's ancient. So it's been hard. And that's been a good thing for us. We want to be challenged by all of the Bible, right? Not just the easy parts. So together as a church, we've studied now the Sermon on the Mount, Proverbs, the whole book of Philippians, and now today, closing out the book of Ruth. That's cool. Ruth is part of the Old Testament, the part of the Bible that chronicles the history of God's people and God's work from creation all the way to the time of Jesus. Ruth is a historical book, but a historical book that is so artfully written that it's often compared to novels or short stories. And we said at the beginning that historical books of the Bible, there are three things that are three ways that they teach us, right? The first is through the moral example and sometimes the moral failings of the people, right? So then think about David and Goliath as our token example, right? David went out and fought Goliath. David had faith in God. So he went out and fought the giant that he wasn't supposed to be able to beat. We should be like David. We should have the faith that David had, right? He set an example for us to follow. They also teach us how God works in the world generally, what we call his providence, right? David killed Goliath. God loves to use the weak to show his strength and to shame the strong. He loves to use the weak and the small and the vulnerable to shame the strong and show that he is strong. And particularly in the Old Testament, they show us pictures of Jesus so that God's people would recognize him when he came. That's what we call, do you remember the word? Typology. Typology. When David defeated Goliath and cut off his head, he was a picture of Jesus coming to defeat sin, death, and the devil. Right? It's all big stuff. Maybe that, uh, that way of thinking is new to some of us. But this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to finish out the book. We're going to see it to a close, and as we do, we're going to reflect on everything that we've seen and learned as we've gone through Ruth, and as we do that, we're going to reflect on uh, something we haven't done a lot of so far, which is the big picture. We're going to step back and see what this all has to do with Jesus. So let's read Ruth chapter 4, beginning in verse 13, all the way to the end. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a redeemer, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. 
And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab. Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the time that we've been able to study Ruth together. Thank you for the ways that you have pushed us as a church. We want to grow, each of us here, in our relationship with you and our relationship with your son, in our knowledge and understanding of all of your word. We want to grow in faith and hope and love and obedience to all that you've commanded. This morning, as we see this story move from death to new life, we celebrate the new life that you've given us as a church. And as we move closer to the one-year anniversary of having services together, as we think back and celebrate those who have come to faith and repentance through the ministry of your word over the past year or so, and for the children that have been born and the children yet to be born, as couples in our church become pregnant or near adoption, we thank you, Father, for fruit and we give you the glory. Please use us to be a blessing to this community. Help us to love our friends and our family, our neighbors, our coworkers. Help us have faith to proclaim what you have done in your son Jesus, what you have done in each of our lives, and what you're doing here at Church of the King. As we close out our study on the book of Ruth, we pray that you would give us grace. Open our eyes to see wonderful things. Help us to see in ourselves those places where we need to repent and change. Give us tender and humble hearts. Give us faith to turn from sin, to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. The book of Ruth is a story of death to life. Of barrenness to fruitfulness. Of emptiness to fullness. Of famine to feast. And that means it's the story of human history, a picture of human history in a microcosm. It's a romantic comedy. Not like we think of like the 90s rom-coms, right? Y'all got a favorite like guilty pleasure rom-com? What'd you say? What'd you say? Yeah, you don't know what those are? Romantic comedies? Yeah, chick flicks. Yeah, yeah. David's too manly for that. I'm not. Um, but it's a romantic comedy in the like, classic historical sense, technical sense of those terms. Romantic, it's got a love story at the heart of it. Comedy, as opposed to tragedy. Tragedies start happy and, and sad. Comedies start with tragedy, something bad, and end happily ever after, usually with a wedding. That's like... All of history. History begins with a tragedy. Adam and Eve in the garden, and it ends with a wedding. Jesus and his bride, the church, together for eternity, happily ever after. So Ruth begins in the time of the judges with a man named Elimelech who lived in a city named Bethlehem with his wife Naomi and his two sons, Malon and Kilian. In the very first verse of Ruth, we know that things are not going well, right? There's a famine in the land. So Elimelech takes his family away from God's people and God's place to a country called Moab. Good place, bad place. Bad place, right? 
And things go south very quickly. Tragedy strikes. Elimelech dies. Malon and Kilian take Moabite wives, something they're forbidden to do. Pagan wives. Grew up in pagan households, non-believing households, worshiping a demon god named Kamash. They're barren, those wives, for 10 years. No kids. And then Malon and Kilian die. And Naomi's left alone. Her husband is dead. Her sons are dead. She has no grandchildren. All she has are two widowed Moabite daughters-in-law and no way to provide for herself or for them and no idea what's coming next in her life. Despair. Death. Barrenness. Emptiness. Been there? We all have in some way or another. Maybe not quite like that. We all will in one way or another. Maybe not quite like that. But it is the story of man. It's the story of the first man, Adam. Adam and Eve were banished from the Garden of Eden. Adam listened to Eve and ate the forbidden fruit. They were exiled from God's place, from God's presence. They were sent into the wilderness. They were cursed with death. That's a connection we're actually supposed to make as we look at Elimelech and as we look at Naomi and their two sons, who aren't Cain and Abel, but Malon and Kilian. And do you remember what their names mean? Sickness and destruction. Elimelech is a type. He's a picture of Adam who leads his family away from God into death, into sickness and destruction, and that's important. Hold on to that as we go. So here's Naomi. She's broken. She's alone. She hears that God has visited his people with bread. She has a spark of hope. Like the prodigal, she resolves to return home. She releases her daughters-in-law from any obligation to follow her. She says, you guys, go home to your families and the Lord provide you with a husband in the future, because there's probably not one for me. And there's not, definitely not one for you if you come with me. Orpah says, that sounds smart. I'm going to do that. Ruth says, no way. No way. Orpah tries to be sensible. Ruth says, I will go back with you. There's no way I'm going back to the demon god Kamash. There's no way I'm going back to my family. There is no way I will abandon you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. Ruth is determined to be faithful to Naomi and to embrace Naomi's God. She leaves her family. She leaves her homeland. She leaves everything she's ever known. By all appearances, Ruth chooses death with Naomi and the God of Israel over staying with her family. But for those who love God and take refuge in him, Life always comes after death. That's what happens for Ruth and Naomi. All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. And that's what we see as they make their journey together back to Bethlehem. Naomi gets there. She acknowledges that God has testified against her and dealt bitterly with her. She changes her name from Naomi to Mara. Naomi means pleasant. Mara means bitter. Naomi is now bitter. Enter Boaz. Boaz never left God's people to sojourn in Moab. He's just a great guy. He's successful. He's a prosperous businessman. He's been able to be prosperous somehow or another despite the famine. He's godly. His employees love him. They bless him. When we see him go to the fields, he gives them a blessing. They give him a blessing. He has a, he's just a godly, awesome guy. Everybody likes Boaz. He's a worthy man. 
And we see immediately that he's a protector of the weak. He sees a woman out in the fields gleaning. We've talked a lot about Ruth and Boaz's character and how we want to be like them, right? What are they a picture of, though? We've not talked a lot about that. Boaz is a picture of Jesus. He is a second Adam, the opposite of Elimelech. Elimelech Elimelech led his wife, who was part of God's people, a daughter of promise, away from God's presence into death and destruction. Boaz redeems that family. He takes Ruth, this poor girl from the wrong family, from the wrong country or ethnicity or race or nationality or however you want to frame it, Moabite. Fact is, she grew up in a pagan, unbelieving family that had a bad, broken, evil history. Anybody relate? Anybody? Some of you can. Some of you can. And Boaz redeems her and he makes her his own. He grafts her into God's people. He gives her his name and an inheritance. And in doing so, he redeems everything that Elimelech lost, including Naomi. This is what Jesus does with us. We have nothing to bring, nothing to offer. We're from Adam's broken, messed up family, all of us. We're dirt poor, broke, bankrupt. And Jesus steps into our lives and welcomes us into his family. He guards and protects us, just like Boaz did with Ruth. Boaz even offers Ruth water from his well and then has her sit down to a meal of bread and wine. Did you catch that when we read it? Does it remind you of anything? The Lord's Supper. That's right. Water from the well, baptism. Bread and wine, the Lord's Supper. Does that feel like a stretch to you? What if I told you that in Ruth 1.22, we learn that Ruth and Naomi arrive at the beginning of barley harvest. That's when Ruth starts gleaning in Boaz's field. That's when Boaz invites her to the meal. In the Jewish calendar, what's celebrated at the beginning of barley harvest? Anybody know? Passover. Passover celebrated at the beginning of barley harvest. That's when Jesus held the Last Supper, bread and wine. And it's when he was crucified. Hang tight, it gets wilder than that. How long is barley harvest? Somewhere between six and eight weeks. What is celebrated seven weeks after Passover? Pentecost. That's right. Festival of weeks. In the book of Acts, what happens on the day of Pentecost? The disciples receive the Holy Spirit and begin to preach. Everyone hears the gospel in their own language, and the gospel goes forth to the Gentiles, to the nations in power. And for thousands of years... What is read in every Jewish synagogue on Pentecost? The book of Ruth. Right as the barley harvest comes to close. It's cool, right? It's cool. So this story of this Gentile woman who meets her Redeemer around the time of Passover, where he pulls her into his family and gives her water from his well and feeds her bread and wine, comes to its climax around the same time the gospel goes to the nations. Now to cap it all off, It's still read on the day of Pentecost in Jewish synagogues, this book. It's all there. It's all there. It's all right here. Boaz fulfills every requirement of the law to redeem his bride at the right time. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? To redeem a people for himself, a bride. Have you ever wondered... This gets even deeper. 
Have you ever wondered why Israel, why the Jewish people don't embrace Jesus, their Messiah, their Redeemer? They're like Naomi. And we right now are in the part of the story where Naomi is still bitter. The New Testament tells us that's not going to last forever. It's all explained very clearly in Romans 9 to 11. You can go and read it for yourself. But it was always here in Ruth. Naomi was one of God's people, a daughter of promise. She wandered from God. Through her rebellion, salvation comes to Ruth, the Gentile. Ruth becomes part of God's people. She's grafted in. The way you graft a wild olive shoot into a cultivated tree. It's the Bible's metaphor. That proved to be the redemption of Naomi. One family, Jew and Gentile together, through the saving work of the Redeemer, Boaz. This is what Jesus is doing. This is what he has done. It was always the plan. When his own people rejected him, he sent his gospel to the Gentiles, to the nations, to the ends of the earth. He has grafted us into his people. He has adopted us into his family. He's given us all the riches of his house and has restored to us the inheritance that was originally ours in Adam. And through the redemption of the nations, Israel herself will be saved. Like Naomi was saved through the redemption of Ruth. One family, one people, Jew and Gentile, through the saving work of Jesus, our Redeemer. There's still a future for Naomi. There's still a future for Israel. If her trespass means riches for the world and her failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will her salvation be? It's a quote from Romans chapter 11. It was all there, all along. Jesus told his disciples it was there all along. He rebuked them for not being able to see it. They grew up reading and studying the Old Testament. Maybe we didn't, so it's kind of murky to us. But it's important that we learn to see it, that we work to see it. This is how the New Testament teaches us to read the Old Testament. Okay, typology, kind of cool, right? Told you we geek out a little bit. It really is all about Jesus. He is the true Boaz. Seeing that should strengthen our faith. It should give us courage. From this angle of the story, we are not Boaz. We are Ruth. We're all vulnerable and needy and empty-handed. Jesus stoops in. He stoops to us in our sin and cleanses us in our weakness and strengthens us in our vulnerability and protects us so that we can go out and be like him. So we can go out and be like Boaz. Okay, so back to the story. Got derailed somewhere around the time that Ruth happened to wander into Boaz's field, right? You guys understand why people love to just live in typology, but we don't just live in typology. We have to come down off the mountain and get to where the rubber meets the road. We want to see Jesus everywhere so that we can live in such a way as to please him. Okay? So Boaz does all the things. He provides for Ruth. He protects her. He gives her water from his well. He gives her bread and wine. It's cool because of typology. Ruth works hard in the fields. No one at the time knows where any of this is going. They're just doing the next right thing. Ruth is just out there we got to eat. Wanders into the field of Boaz. He takes care of her. Naomi hears, understands, makes a connection, gets excited. Then nothing happens. Ruth comes up, or not Ruth, Naomi comes up with a plan. It's dangerous. It's fraught. 
She sends Ruth to the threshing floor. Boaz and Ruth navigate it all with purity and integrity. Boaz promises to get the job done, but there's a problem. There's another guy in the name, in the name, in the way. Mr. No name, Mr. What's-His-Face, right? Boaz is going to figure it out. He goes to Mr. Whatchamacallit. Mr. Whatchamacallit is really scared that his name's going to be forgotten if he marries Ruth. So he says, no way. Boaz is not afraid of his name being forgotten. So Boaz seals the deal and gets the job done and he gives up everything, right? And that's why we remember Boaz's name. And that's why we don't even know the name of the other guy. Ruth gives up everything to follow Naomi too, right? She entrusts herself to God. Boaz gives up everything to make her his wife. By every calculation, by every human calculation, they're both idiots. Except that God is in his heaven and God sees. And Jesus tells us over and over and over again the same principles that Ruth and Boaz already believe. The last shall be first. He who loves his life will lose it. Galimelech, like Mr. What's-His-Face. He who loses his life for my sake, like Ruth and Boaz, will find it. Self-protection, counting the personal cost, that sort of calculation is always the wrong math. Why? Because it's the kind of math that leaves God out of the equation. That's why. As if God doesn't see, as if God doesn't know, as if God is not a rewarder of what is done in secret. Everyone would have felt sorry for Boaz because Boaz was going to be forgotten. Everyone who believed that forgot God. That's where we're going to pick up the rest of the passage. Because some rewards of God are immediate. And only we can see and enjoy them. And to others, they seem small. But to us, they're more than enough. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The world sees that Boaz loses his name. Boaz sees he gets Ruth. And Ruth gets a second chance. Remember, Ruth's been married before, and it didn't go well. It ended in death with no children. Her first marriage was not like this one. She wasn't married to a man like Boaz. It ended in tragedy and sadness. This one's different. There is hope for second marriages when God is at the center of them. There can be redemption. Death is devastating. Divorce is worse. Neither has to be the end of the story, depending on the circumstances. Ruth gets a second chance. God gives her a baby boy. Out of death, life. Out of barrenness, fruitfulness. Some of God's rewards are immediate. We can only see them, enjoy them for what they truly are. Ruth and Boaz got to enjoy each other. They got a happy marriage. They got a happy home in God's order. Marriage, consummation, fruitfulness, babies. And look at Naomi. Grandparents, Naomi had lost her husband. She'd lost her two sons. She thought it was all over. She'd given up any hope of any redemption. And now Naomi's a grandmother. She gets to nurse and take care of her grandson. How healing do you think that was for Naomi? Look at what the women say to her. Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. 
Naomi thought she came back to Bethlehem empty, but she did not come back empty. Not really. God was at work. Naomi came back with Ruth, and Ruth is more than seven sons because Ruth gave her a grandbaby. Children are a blessing, unequivocally a blessing. They can be difficult, they can be challenging, but they are always a blessing. Seven sons would have been seen as a tremendous blessing. Seven is the number of perfection. The fact that we have to say that because our natural reaction is not seven sons are a blessing. More like seven sons, whoa, how does that happen? Don't you know? Tells us more about ourselves than it does about them. We live in a time when children are despised, where it's easy and legal simply have them killed in their mother's wombs. The idea of having children is a high hurdle for some of us. We've been trained and conditioned to recoil at the idea of having kids at all, or more than our one and a half. At Church of the King, we agree with God and God's people from forever to always that children are a blessing. We welcome them here. They're not second-class citizens. They're welcome in the service as soon as you and they are ready and comfortable. Boaz and Ruth gave up their names and their futures, and they got each other, and they got the blessing of a son. Some of God's rewards are immediate. That was immediate. But often the best comes after we die, long after we're gone. Sure, of course, without question, when we stand face to face with our Redeemer, and we enter into the reward of His presence, without question, that's our ultimate reward. But there's also what happens next for generations that follow. And that's our reward too. It's our heritage. It's our name. A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Some blessings follow after we die. We don't get to see them. The fruit of faithfulness continues to accrue for generation after generation. We don't see it in this life. Our children do. Our children's children do. This story began in the time of the judges, a time of chaos, where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It ends with the line of the king, a king who was a man after God's own heart, a king who would unite all of Israel, who would drive out its enemies, who would secure its borders, who would develop its trade and establish it as the most influential nation to ever shape the world. And from that king would come the king of kings, the savior of us all. It began in the midst of chaos with a Moabite widow who gave up her life to follow God and show love to her mother-in-law. And a man who was willing to give up his name to redeem them. Simple acts of self-sacrifice that accrued over generations. They didn't know. They never saw. They had no idea. They were just committed to doing the next right thing, to the next act of obedience, to the next act of faith. They didn't know. They just operated on God's economy. They used God's math. They invested in God's kingdom instead of their own. Remember Jesus, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all the things that the Gentiles, the pagans, seek after. They'll be added to you. Don't worry about it. You won't even begin to see the ways. An investment in God's kingdom as an act of faith is always an investment 
in the future. If we cling only to what we have and see, we lose out on the things we could never dream of down the line. Our children lose out and are impoverished. Their children's children lose out and are impoverished. We are just now as a society beginning to see the fruit of decay that has come from a generation committed to living for today with no thought of tomorrow, no thought of the next generation or the generation after that. Only the godless live for today. The righteous leave a heritage for their children. Ruth had nothing. Her heritage was Moab. She was the first in her family to trust in the Lord. Some of you are like Ruth. Some of you are the first in your family. Look what God did. Look what God can do. Ruth, by God's grace, was able to leave a heritage for her children. Can be like Ruth. Boaz, he lived for God's favor. He trusted God, saw and kept a record. That's how Boaz was able to give up his name. That's why we remember him. Boaz had a heritage. Some of you need to make good on that. Some of you need to make good on what you've been given. You're not starting from scratch. You have a responsibility to build on what you've inherited. David was a man after God's own heart. How did he get that way? Well, his great-grandfather was a man after God's own heart. That's how. His great-grandfather was Boaz. Perez fathered Hezron, Hezron fathered Ram, Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nation, Nation fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. We get to these passages of Scripture and we just buzz through them. They mean something. They're there for a reason. Do you have any doubt that Boaz was a good father? Some of you are like Ruth. You're first in your family. Come from a messed up family. Some of you are like Boaz. You have a heritage. It doesn't matter. You can leave a heritage for your children. We're all here at Church of the King working toward that end. Multiple generations of followers of Jesus Christ. That's what we want. Generation to generation to generation together. Men and women after God's own heart. Men and women from across this city coming to know him, being the first in their family like Ruth. From that to generations yet unborn. That's our goal. Our trust is in the God who is faithful to all generations. He has done it. He promises it. He will do it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this book of the Bible and the testimony of your work in Boaz and in Ruth, which you did through them to establish your kingdom, what you can do through us. We thank you for the picture of Jesus that we see. Pray that you would humble our hearts and that you would draw us to you, that we would come to Jesus to be filled up and protected forgiven and cared for, and that we would work to be like Ruth and Boaz. Help us, we pray, and help us to be a church of Ruths and Boazes. In Jesus' name, amen.